stop the music. Stop. Stop. I'm not sure I can do this today, Jaffe. You're you begged me on 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 the chats here to come in and talk about. I don't even know what we're talking about. Like large uh, um, language uh, air model planes or something. I don't even know. I I don't even know how to intro this. I don't even know what we're talking about. All I know is that this is a lot of buzzword mumbo jumbo to be talking about artificial uh, Skynet intelligences or something. Uh, I'm going to need you for this episode here to take the lead on whatever it is large thing we're talking about today. All right. All right, Jason, you can, you can drop the pretense, but I will happily do the intro. Uh, this is season zero, episode seven of the Smart and Snark podcast. I am distinguished engineer, Matt Jaffe, and joining me on the line is myopic middle manager, Jason Allison. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good so far. All right. So today we are going to talk about something we touched on on the previous episode, which is large language models and more generally AI, specifically AI as a tool. Yeah. If you could not ever drink again, that would be great. <laughs> what was my game? was my gain. Like the audience needs to understand what it's like to be your partner or a co-host or whatever it is term we're using to describe this relationship. Because as y'all see, I got the, the Mickey Mouse ears on. I've been through how many microphones and head, audio sets, and it's still not good enough. You literally, before this podcast, what did you say to me? You said, your chair squeaks too much. You're a little. Am I lying? Am I lying to our audience? I'm not lying hey, to our audience. Man, you're not the one who's who's has to edit these audio files after after we record. edit. You just got to print the middle manager gold, man. It just we're just printing the coins, the bitter coins. They're just printing them up. All I asked, listen, ladies and gentlemen, all I asked him to do was replace his ten year old microphone with something to give our listeners better audio quality and and. I'm going to take crap for the next seven episodes, but you know what? It's water under the bridge. I have been messing around with, uh, with some large language models and, and some of these, um, AI helpers. And frankly, I am astounded. Uh, the future is here and people are not freaking out as much as they should be in my opinion. Um, and, Despite uh, Jason's intro, which you know makes it sound like he's never heard of these things, I think he actually has some pretty strong opinions to the contrary to share with us. So, Jason, why, why don't why don't you tell us uh, what you think about LLMs? Well, I'd like to open with if you would, uh, if somebody would tell me, I'd get some helpers. I think I heard you say help, like AI helpers are those like little beings that come and like do work for me, like my Alexas and my. Uh, a series like you know are those the helpers we're talking about do i just like go and uh, order me up some ai helpers uh kind of yeah i think these these large language models are basically going to turbocharge things like siri and alexa right like the the those initial versions of of quote ai helpers were pretty basic, right? Like, like they would respond to very specific prompts um, and 
and could do you know very specific actions. Whereas these large language models that are trained on you know basically huge swaths of the internet, huge amounts of text, um, and 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 in some cases very carefully curated text, but still really really large amounts of it can do sort of much broader sets of tasks and and you can um, with the right prompts you can sort of get them to do anything from writing code to you know being a therapist um, so it's it's very very interesting being a therapist so yeah all of my all of my um, conclusions which are right of course um, we'll save those till the end we need we need to bring the listeners along here so so help me understand why anyone should care about these uh, little helpers and and how they're going to make my life easier. It's some bot, bot, Jupiters, whatever it is, and you ask it things and it's learned different things in history. Like, how does that help? How can that help any individual person in the world and why should we care? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you an example that that I experienced uh, just yesterday um, of of that that really just blew me away. So, you know, AI research has been going on since I don't know the '60s or '70s, and and you know back then people thought uh, a human level intelligence was just a few years out, and then there was kind of the AI winter, and people were like, oh, we're we're never going to achieve human level intelligence, um, and then all of a sudden in the past, just in the past year or two, we've had some like really startling advances um, in, in um, you know, how these, how these models perform. And the, the company that's kind of, you know, making the most noise in this space is OpenAI. Uh, they released ChatGPT about a year ago, which was huge. Um, and they've recently released um, GPT-4. Um, so a couple of days ago, maybe, maybe it might've just been yesterday. I, uh, I signed up for open AI cause I was like, you know what, I, I made a commitment to, uh, to explore this stuff a little bit more. And I wrote a little script that lets me basically send prompts to, to the, to the model through my terminal. So I can just sit in my terminal and, and ask the model things and it responds right in the terminal. Um, cause that's, you know, that's where I live my life. Uh, so I was, I needed to, I needed to generate some sample data to, to test out, um, some of the, some of the new, uh, features we're developing in feature base. And so I was like, oh, this will be a fun little thing. I can ask, I can ask the bot to, to write me some code that generates data. So, uh, the first thing I did was I asked the bot to write, to generate, just to straight up generate data. I asked the bot, Hey, can you, um, can you generate some data about uh, marine wildlife, random data about marine wildlife in CSV format? And 10 seconds later, it comes back with about 10 lines in comma separated value format, you know, that has a species and a name and a length and a weight. Um, and it was well formatted CSV. It's like, that's pretty cool, right? It generated, it generated a little bit of sample data for me. That would have taken me, I don't know, 10 minutes to type up, um, you know, or, you know, I'd have to search around on the internet and find something that, you know, roughly fit my, um, my needs. Um, but I, I thought, why not go a step further? Cause I, I want more than 10 lines. I might want a thousand lines or 10,000 lines. Um, 
So I said, you know, hey, uh, let me actually find the exact prompt I used. Um, it'll be in my terminal history. Uh, is that like your entire history is in that terminal? Like if I wanted to know what you got for your sixth birthday, is it going to be in that terminal history? No, but everything I've done on this computer for the past few years at the terminal is is in my bash history. Um, that's I yeah I like to tweak my my uh, shell settings so that it saves everything because then you can just reverse search through it to find useful commands. Um, it's a it's a tip for you engineers out there. Oh, I'm taking notes. Uh, so. I said, I, I named the command hey. So everything after hey is what gets sent to to the uh, open AI. Hey is for horses, said, by the way. Hey, write some code in Go that will generate random marine wildlife data in CSV format. Um, and so so that's, that's what I sent it. That's all I sent it. It came back with a completely valid Go program that did exactly what I asked. It 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 was hard coded to a hundred lines, but that's obviously very easy to change. And and I ran it with no changes, and it generated a hundred lines of valid CSV about marine wildlife. And that should be absolutely astounding to to anyone listening. Like, and it, and it did that in I don't know. It was like fifteen seconds. It came back with with that response. Um, the fact that you can take that prompt of I don't know, 12 words, write some code and go that will generate random marine wildlife data in CSV format. Uh, and it, it somehow comes up with a completely correct program that does that. I mean, that is just an absolutely massive leap. Yes. Go ahead, Jason. Look, I don't want to interrupt you, but I have a point of contention here. Is that the phrase that you like to use, point of contention? How how do you how does anyone get to say that it's randomly generated data when ChatGPT has a finite set of trained data to feed it? Clearly that's not random. That's seeded data. Yes, a large seeded data set, but is it truly random? Um so you're referring to my previous example where it just straight up generated the data? What, what, what I heard you say is yes, to generate random data. How can a trained bot model be considered random? So you just want to quibble about the like semantics of, of what random so, truly So this means. is this is gonna be one of my this is gonna be one of my consternations about chat GPT is it's really not random. It's trained on a very large data set. What makes humans exceptional is our randomness and frankly our mistakes right like that is what um, drives thought processes right when you're thinking like and you you have to think about is this actually accurate right because if you ask your chat gpt bot to give you a thousand random species like are you gonna go and check it and validate it no you're just gonna be like you're gonna assume that the bot's right but if you asked me for random marine species, I'd be lucky if I could spell some of them. So you're definitely going to want to double check my work. Okay. I have, I have several points of contention. Several, several hundred probably. I got my pen right now. I'm ready. All right. First of all, when this model is running, there's, a, there's actually a parameter you can give to every invocation of it called temperature that tells it how much 
actual randomness to inject into its the flow of the flow of data through the for lack of a better term neurons of the model so every time you run this thing you can run it with the exact same prompt and you will get different answers because there's some amount of of randomness in which weights and paths it follows through its internals to get to its end result at the end of the day so there's there's true randomness right there because that randomness is coming from um, the actual like an underlying random number generator in the code, which could either be like true, true random, like coming from a, a an actual source of entropy, or it could be pseudo random. It's probably pseudo random, but at the end of the day, the distinction doesn't matter that much. Like it's 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 fairly random. It kind of does, doesn't it? So no, it, it really does not. <laughs> so, so randomness, it's my understanding, and look, this is from you know many years ago. Randomness for computers is usually built on time, right? Because that's the only real randomness to get onto computers. But, but let me just give you a quick example, and I'll, I'll get you. But no, that's not even right, though. Oh. There's there's all kinds of sources of entropy in computers now, and I think Intel came up with something that was using like fluctuating voltages in the processor to you know to to try and extract entropy from that. Um, you, I mean, you could you can build any kind of system you want to get entropy. I think some systems take like the timing between keystrokes on the keyboard. So if you're doing a lot of stuff on the keyboard, or if you're doing a lot of stuff, a lot of disk access, um, they can sort of extract entropy and randomness from that. There's there's many many sources of of entropy that computers now have access all right, to. That, all right, that's fair. But let's get back to this temperature point, right? I, I I get what you're saying, but let's I'll just do a quick little exercise. So. So Jaffe, pick pick a random number between one and ten. Three. No, 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 no. I mean, pick a really random number, but not a not a low temperature random. No, no. I mean a high temperature random number. You still gonna guess three? <laughs> what What's the point you're trying to make? The point is, is that I I start. I'm I need to be convinced that this is really random. I'm, I'm not sure how random it is because it all is based on trained data, right? And yes, it's got its gazillion megapetabyte stuffs of data, but really how random is this? And what happens when the seed data is, is inaccurate? It's not validating any of the seed data. So you may get actually incorrect data. You, you will absolutely get incorrect answers from this thing. The question is not, will it always be exactly right? People aren't always exactly right. The question is, is it a useful tool? And my argument is, it's an incredibly useful tool. If I had to write the program that that thing spat out in 15 seconds, it would take me 45 minutes. Okay. So even if it's slightly wrong, it takes me five minutes to read the program. It takes me five seconds to run it and look at the output and see that it's pretty close to what I want. And if I needed to tweak it because I wanted it to generate more data or I wanted to add new types of species to, to its output, I could totally do that. The code it generates is commented. It tells you what it's doing in the code. It's absolutely bananas. You are so easily pleased. Like uh, this, I mean. I'm so easily pleased. 45 minutes of work reduced to 15 seconds. So how That's long? Not, how, how long, long did it take them? to to build this thing to please me right this is a hundred years of of progress in computing 
and, and building on top of, of innovation after innovation to get to this point, hundreds of millions of dollars just in compute capacity to train the things. I'm easily pleased. That doesn't sound very easy. How long until there's a, a catastrophic failure in a, in a device, an embedded device, and they do the root, root cause and, and they say, oh, it was some Chad GPD generated code that caused this failure. Let me ask you this. How, how often do we check code into our repositories that has been looked at by only a single person? I read that originally that's how Microsoft did it. Bill Gates read every single line of code that got checked in. So that's what I do. So how often do we do it? <laughs> well, uh, pick a random number between uh, zero and never. Literally never. Literally never. Because because our our process and our operations enforce that every piece of code is reviewed by at least one other person than the person who wrote it. If you're spending less time writing code, and this, this all comes back to it's AI is a tool. It depends on how you use it. But if, you, if you're using it to make writing code faster, you can spend more time reviewing code. You can spend more time testing code. You may not choose to use it that way. And some people certainly won't. Some people will check in very dangerous, horrible code that they wrote, right? But it's a tool and it's a very exciting tool. And I'm, I'm absolutely certain that this will happen. Just, just what you said, right? There will be some zero day vulnerability in an embedded device and we'll get traced back to code that was written by a, a large language model. But who cares? There's, if there's vulnerabilities written by people that get discovered every day. Uh, so who cares? Like it's a failure of the whole software development process. It's not a failure of if you're, if you're relying on the one thing that writes the code to be perfect, you're doing it wrong, right? It's interesting. I, I mean, now we're getting down to fundamentals, right? I'm in the camp of less code is better. Uh, I, re I went to a seminar and I'm going to butcher this, but it was something like, what was the comparison of lines of code to a standard car today versus the lines of code that were used to set up a, the Apollo mission? Right. And it was something like 10, 50 times more code in a car today than land somebody on the moon. So, and, and I'm sure you and a bunch of listeners have tried to read JavaScript before, right? Like that's just all dangerous stuff. It's just, there's just too much of it. I, I get worried about that. I'm in the camp of, you know, the more content and yes, in this example is useful code that we get out there. Are we going to be spending all of our days reviewing code and just prompting a bot to write it for us? Is that where we're headed? You know, I, again, I think it comes back to how do you want to use the tool to make it work best for you? There's a lot of code out there that I find very boring and tiresome to write, you know, like gluing things together. Um, I've written code to generate data more times than I can count. I don't need to write that again. Um, so there's stuff that I'm very happy for, for the thing to write for me. And there's stuff where I want to write it myself because it's an interesting mental exercise and it's going to help me become, you know, a better engineer, a better programmer, or there's some like very fine details that I want to make sure are correct. And the only way to do that is for me to think through them very carefully. So I might as well just write the code because my time is not going to be spent typing. It's going to be spent primarily thinking. And, and, and the, the typing will be completely incidental. 
You know, I, I might I might be ready to concede the, the data generation. I might be ready to concede it. If that's our boundary right now, I think that's good. I could see something like this being useful for, you know, extra, you know, white box testing, you know, exercising, you know, APIs or some fuzz testing, stuff like that. Sure. Right. Like integration testing, web driver type stuff. Sure. Maybe if, is that our, is that our line? Cause that, that may not be the end of the world. <laughs> there's, there's no line. Jason, I, you know, like we can, we can use these tools in, it, we're going to be exploring this, you know, for the next, however long I, let me, let me take a step back. Um, let me actually take several steps back. Cause I wanted to comment once more on the, the whole random argument. I asked I asked the bot to generate code, to generate code that would generate data. That code calls into the normal random libraries in Go. It calls you know it calls math.random or rand.newint or whatever. So so that that is accessing whatever randomness that you know any any piece of code would access. So you, you can if you're hung up on that, you can you can kind of work around it, you know, by asking asking the model to write code, which then you can then inspect and you can validate that the code does exactly what you think it should do. Um, and then you can, you can test it to validate that, uh, that it actually does that. Um, what, where it gets, starts to get interesting is if you ask the model to write tests for the code it just wrote, then, you know, obviously you need to validate that the tests are testing what you want them to. Um, but that can also save you a lot of time. How does it do with altering? Is that anything resident? I mean, if, if you ask it to update the code it just wrote and do something different, is it smart enough to do that? Because I'm not yeah, smart so, enough to do that. Yeah, me neither. Um, so th this is something that I want to experiment with more, but there some of these some of these models do have um, they keep context, they keep a thread of, of conversation. So you can refer back to things that have been previously said. Uh, and some of, some of these models are having tools built around them that are embedded in your IDE, in your development environment. So it, and your development environment will, you know, try to intelligently select the, the context of the code base that is going to be useful to the model and feed it that context so that it can help you in the context of your own code base. So there's there's a lot of work going on in this area right now where they're trying to improve um, the amount of context that you can give to the model and trying to improve the tools that select what the context is. Because every almost every code base that's non-trivial is bigger than the context that the model will hold. Right now, the models are getting better all the time. Um, and so it's kind of a, an interesting search problem to figure out, you know, what, what bits of the code base are most important to give to the model as context so it can best help you and answer questions that you might have about your own code base or how to add to it or how to alter it. Yeah, you used an important word there I'll touch on next, which is the how. So... I think we talked about this prior to the podcast. I'm a firm believer uh, when you when you deliver value to a customer, you need to understand the difference between verification and validation. Did you look up that one? 
Did you look up that one? Do you know the difference between verification and validation? No, I'm already falling asleep, but go ahead. So verification is if your customer asks you to add two numbers, that you take, you can verify that the two numbers add up, right? Two and two is four. Validation is making sure that your customer really wanted you to add two numbers, right? So having exploratory conversations and understanding the, that, uh, you know, what you're doing, why you're doing it, not just, okay, generate me data. Do I really need marine data? Do I need, you know, different types of fish versus whales or what mammals, whatever, like there's no, it's only as good as a, a one way conversation, you to the bot. There's no questioning of, is this really what you want? This, this is what it means if you do that. And I'll just add on to that. And I don't mean to open up a kettle of fish here, if that's the saying. Over the years, over the decades, software development has become much easier. I mean, everybody, everybody thinks they can program, right? I like to call the concept, you know, there's a difference between a, a software programmer and a software engineer. A software engineer is going to do requirements management, QA, all the stuff we talked about. Where a programmer, if that's all you do, is going to, for lack of a better term, sling code. I'm worried we're going to get into another camp which is I know even less about software development, but what I do know is how to prompt a bot to write me code and boom, there I'm delivering an executable to who knows who, and it's a, maybe it's a library or maybe it's an actual deliverable and a customer uses it. Right. And, you know, I, I know I don't want to get into the conversation of malware within chat GPT. I know that's kind of a different, different conversation, but there's cost, there's cost to not knowing the code that you're receiving, not knowing the step. I mean, that's always been there, but this is just going to open up, this will open up many more avenues for who knows what, you know, my, you know, 14 year old could be writing chat GPT code and you could be using it right now and you didn't even know it. So it, it sounds like you're concerned and, and this is totally valid with the effects that these capabilities will have broadly. Uh, you know, on society. Whereas I'm just excited about the power of the tools that are now in my hands. Oh, you're exactly right. I mean, you're a small thinker. I'm a big thinker. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I, I just can't get too worried about it. Like every time there's a disruptive new technology, there are a bunch of naysayers who say it's going to ruin everything, you know, um, Back in the 1800s, it was like, ah, everybody's just reading their newspapers. Nobody has time to talk anymore. Like, I just, I don't want to do, I'd rather just, I'd just rather just be excited and, and try to be on the cutting edge of the future and understanding, you know, what's going on and, and how to get the most out of it rather than, um, you know, just poo-pooing it because it's new and, and I'm scared of it. Um, I, I gotta be honest. I am a little scared of it. I'm not, I'm less, well. The software, there, there, there's lots of checks and balances in software, right? That's honestly, that's probably the easier side, right? Because we have, we have security built built into our software development lifecycle. So you know, any code should be th flowing through a pipeline, which has you know static analysis being done, you know, all of the levels of uh, uh, integration tests and whatnot. So you know, I'm less concerned about that. There's checks and balances. I'm more concerned on the on the softer the softer side, which is the writing of content, right? Like, you know, stories and 
all of that information and maybe maybe we can save that for a different call but in reality what at in a big picture level what these bots will do is all they're doing is creating more content they are making the ability to generate content i talked about how how software we're creating so much more software it's much easier to create software you got your ides you can download everything open source github boom i can go getting started hello world out the door in five minutes right these bots will make it even easier to create content and that's content in software that's content in english history and at some point at some point we're not gonna we're not gonna know what 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 is real and what is not what was written by an author who's an expert in a field versus what was written by you know chatter gpt you know what i mean yeah i i do and i it's perfectly reasonable and and correct, I would say, to be to be at least a little bit afraid and and wary of what's going to happen. Um, I personally, I think that's that's all the more reason to sort of get invested in these technologies, understand what they can do and what they can't, what their outputs tend to look like, um, because yeah, I think it's it's a very real and valid fear that we we get overwhelmed with you know, middling quality generated content and that has subtle errors scattered throughout it, right? Because because the, the way these systems fail, at least right now, is they tend to be confidently wrong, right? They, they I, I, earlier today, I asked kind of a very nuanced question about how to structure some stuff in a make file. And it was like, oh yeah, here's an example. Like you just do it this way. And I put it in and it was, it just completely didn't work at all. Um, so you absolutely have to vet the outputs of these things. Um, and a lot of people won't. Um, so <laughs> we, we need to be aware of that, uh, for sure. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't have an easy answer. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you're right that like these things don't replace all the software development and operational processes that, you know, that we've built up over the past few decades. But I do think that they can greatly accelerate parts of our jobs and, and give us more time to spend on kind of the interesting bits, to be honest. Completely agree. I'm, I'm on board with that. I am definitely in the camp of being fearful of, of what it may become. Right. Like, I think, again, I don't want to go down a tangent in a rabbit hole here, but I think as a society, we are doing really bad in, in believing what we read and less about believing in people, right? So if we read something somewhere, our instinct is to believe it's true. I mean, hey, chat, chat GPT, write me a revisionist history on, on the Civil War, right? Like, is that, what, is that what's going to happen next? And I... I worry uh, that we're gonna that the act that that we as a society are gonna care exactly what you said less about accuracy, less about the details because oh well it's because it's good enough well you know in certain aspects you need to be accurate it's critical and you can't be dependent on something because it's easy. Yeah, the, I I think broadly society and and people in general will start to be inoculated toward 
toward this sort of thing. I, I saw, I think it was like a Twitter thread where somebody was sort of comparing, um, you know, the spread of this new technology to, you know, like almost like a disease in an, in an, you know, unvaccinated population where nobody has antibodies against this thing. Nobody knows how to respond to it. Right. As time wears on and, and people, you know, get sort of more used to these sorts of things existing, I think they will develop sort of different mental filters about things that they're reading online. They will develop a greater appreciation for, you know, primary sources and, 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 you know, weighing the the provenance of information. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll all have to do that. Um, I guess the, the fear is that the, the spread and the pace of change in this technology is going to be faster than, than how quickly people can respond to it. I, I think that's, that's the big open question. A hundred percent. My, my analogy is if, if you rewind, I don't know, let's say, let's say 50 years, which is not that long, right? 50 years, if you wanted to be an expert or, or read about an expert in history, in American history, right? You got to go get a book. And if I wanted to be an expert in American history, I had to go write a book. And guess what? If I got it wrong, other authors made fun of me in the history journal, I was done. Fast forward 50 years. Now what? Anybody can be an expert in history. Hey, hey, chat GPT, go write me, you know, replay the Battle of Gettysburg, but instead of this side winning, have that side winning, right? Like who's who knows who to believe anymore? And and how are we going to how are we going to maintain accuracy going forward? And it's just it's I, I tend to think of things in longer situations. I mean, this isn't a judgment as much as I like to pick on you, but you have found a solution to a immediate problem that you have. But when I see it as a maybe myopic middle manager, okay, well, what does that mean? Like now that we have that, what will things look like? What do I need to protect against? What do I need process for? And what do I need guardrails for and safeguards for? And and now it's just going to be it's going to be way too easy to generate to generate inaccurate content, whether by design or by happenstance. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. I see what's happening here. You're just worried that this is going to make a whole bunch of work for you. Like I need new processes. My developers are going to be more productive. So I'm going to have to have more stories groomed and ready to go. This is going to be so annoying for me. It's going to take away from my time tending my goldfish bowl or whatever it is you do over there. Well, if Chad, if I could say, Hey, chat GPT, give me an estimate on how long story 1532 is going to take. Then maybe I'd be, you know, pretty ecstatic about it. But what's really going to happen is you're going to estimate the story as five, and you're going to spend, you know, thirty seconds chat GPTing, and then building your Lego starship uh, up on the shelf right there, right? You know, that's what's going to happen. Is that is that such a bad thing, Jason? <laughs> I think we could all use more Lego starships in our lives. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting because. I, it, it, as much as we're talking about the same thing, I definitely feel like we're talking about different, like the far ends of the spectrums of it. And, and, you know, I, I hope that our listeners can, can tell that there's many aspects to it, to, to large language models. Hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll slow roll the, the craziness and my fears, my types of fears for, for many years when I'm retired and I don't have to worry about it. Uh, but, but for now, this is a, a tool that, you know, and anyone, even a Jaffe can use to, to generate random data about marine creatures. Is that right? Why were you even working with marine creatures? I don't even know. I, it's the first thing that popped into my head when I wanted to, to play with it. Um, 
but I did, uh, I later, I wrote another prompt later on that was actually uh, for something I wanted to do. Create oh. Jason a, a host who, uh, who actually knows about software engineering. Please write a bash function that embeds the contents of a file into the value of a member of a JSON body of a curl request. I saw that in one of your PRs. You literally checked that code in and took credit for it. You I should have not. at least given it a, a, an annotation I, chat. Oh my gosh, you <laughs> took complete credit for that. I can't believe you did that. That is a complete lie. That's maybe. Maybe. That's a, <laughs> hey, chat. Hey, Alexa, did, did Matt plagiarize chat GPT? Yes, yes, you did. Um, no, but like that was a sentence that's hard for a human to parse. Also, I do think it's important to be polite to these models. You should always start with please. Um, but uh, it it did a darn good job and it it thought of things that I had not thought of when when I was thinking about the problem. Like I need to do this and it like escaped quotes in in the file content and stuff. It was it was really cool. So just I mean just the fact that it like it can think about some edge cases that you might have missed, like that alone is just so helpful. So it's not running it, right? It's actually assuming that it understands the syntax and, and grammar correctly, right? It's not actually testing the way it. the way the current um, sort of set of of large language models that are out there work is they are just linear token generators. They just generate a token, which is like either a letter or a word or something in that part of the word, um, and then they they sort of take that into account and they they think all right what's the like next most likely token and then they just go straight through so th so there's whole classes of tasks that they're really bad at things that you sort of have to work backward from or, or you know weird things where it's like generate some an answer to this question where the output is exactly x long like where you know, where, where it's like kind of like a recursive thing um, and, and I'm sure these are open research areas that people are actively working on. Um, but it's pretty amazing that they can do what they do, just generating linearly as, as they do, like serial text output. So, so in closing, uh, to uh, to our to our listeners, uh, you know, these are some easy things that that you've uh, had success with. What other what other uh, quick and uh, um, simple tasks has uh, the chat you know, chatterbots uh, worked for you in your in your passing. I was playing with, I think when ChatGPT first came out, I, I was asking it some really detailed questions about like NFS protocol details or something. It didn't do a very good job with that. But again, that was like six, eight months ago. Um, I've been really impressed with the code writing. Um, and I think any anytime you have like you want to search for something, but you're not quite sure what to search for. And you'd have some like very fuzzy context around it, you know, trying to plug that into one of these models to see if it can at least give you some new keywords to go after, um, can be really useful. Um, but honestly, like I I've had, you know, I've been, I've been playing with this latest version, um, GPT 3.5 turbo is, is what I've been playing with for a day. Um, so I, I haven't done that much with it. Uh, but I, I have been really blown away by, by the capabilities. 
And another thing I'll say that I thought was really funny, um, when you, when you sign up with OpenAI, they give you like $18 of credit, um, you know, to use their, their, their API. And I checked, uh, at the end of the day yesterday, how much I had used any guesses. I love making guesses. Uh, so knowing you, you probably were, you know, pounding away at the keyboard. I'd say you spent 56 cents. I spent 0.4 cents, $0.004. So, I mean, you know, even, even if I increase my usage of the tool a hundred X, it's like, I, it would not, it would not be a significant like line item on a monthly bill, which I think is wild. You know, maybe maybe in an upcoming podcast, we should start talking about how the data is stored and how they're performant in their requests and how everything's moving fast. Uh, but I'm also, I, isn't it my understanding that the data is a little stale? I think last time I tried GPT-3, it was like 18 months stale. Yeah, the, the training set cuts off at a certain time. And again, another area of open research where they're, they're trying to figure out how they can incrementally train and, and keep them up to date. Um, but yeah, I've, I mean, I've been looking at the stuff for just a couple of days now in, in depth, so I don't have, don't have a lot more information on that, but, um, you know, they, the, the value of them is that they sort of embed a knowledge of human language and, and not necessarily on the actual content you know, that, that they were trained on, at least that's the idea, you know, and sometimes it is definitely not going, you know, it's certainly not going to answer questions about current events very well. Um, but there are lots of plugins and stuff and, and, and APIs that are being opened up to, you know, add, add current context into these things, you know, as, as you're using them. So there's, there's just an explosion of activity going on in this space. Um, and it, it's, it's honestly hard to keep up with all the developments. I can't wait till I'm interviewing an engineer and I say, what's the difference between verification and validation? And then they get the answer wrong. And I go, where'd you read that? And they're like, oh, that's what Chad GPT told me. And come on, it's just going to kill me. Like there will be a set of people that if they get the answer from Chat GPT, they think it'll be right. And, and I'm, I'm just going to lose my stuff at that point. Like original thought. I mean, I know it's not going to be extreme, but we're already losing so much original thought. I don't want to lose any more original thought in humanity. Verification and validation are two terms that are often used interchangeably, but they have different meanings in the context of software development. Verification you, <laughs> is the process of checking that a software product meets its design specifications and requirements. It ensures that the software is built according to its intended design and that it conforms to its specifications. Verification is often done through testing and inspection. Validation, on the other hand, is the process of checking that a software product meets the needs of its users and stakeholders. It ensures that the software is fit for its intended purpose and that it meets the needs of its users. Validation is often done through user testing and feedback. I feel like I'm the only software engineer in this chat. I mean, that was a better explanation than you gave, uh, if I'm being honest. 
Yeah, because you read it from from the internet and you believed it. You know, my 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 kids tell me all the time that they that that Abraham Lincoln once said, "You can't always believe what you read on the internet." I, yeah, I Abe Lincoln. I mean, very wise man, smart guy. Um, all right, well, that's that's probably a good spot to to wrap this one up. Um, I hope you're all looking forward to future episodes where uh, GPT-3 can dunk on Jason because that's super fun. <laughs> we, uh, should have an, we should have an exchange. That'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> who's who's <laughs> smarter than a, a myopic middle manager and chat GPT-0.1? I'll, I'll take a day off and, and GPT-3.5 can be the co-host. Um, you can find us on Twitter at SmartSnarkCast. Uh, YouTube, Smart and Snark, smartandsnark at gmail.com, and every podcasting platform in existence, Smart and Snark. Uh, we're always open to feedback, comments, and questions. So hit us up any of those places and have a good one, everybody. You're not going to say bye, Jason. Adios. Ciao. Bye.